Welcome to 2020 Politics War Room with James Carville, who's down in Mississippi. I'm Al Hunt here in Washington at American University, where we're the proud partners with the Sign Institute. We have two really special guests today, but let me first ask you to please subscribe to 2020 Politics War Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. James, I am here at American University at their on-campus studio. I am in the room with Kyle, our fabulous engineer, without whom we couldn't get this show on. We are, uh, I would say, a little over six feet apart. There is no one else in this room. And I know you are down there, I think, alone in Mississippi. And I just want to, before we begin, encourage anyone who listens to this, whether you're 70 or 17, you know, please, please self-isolate. Don't go out in crowds. This is the worst pandemic maybe we've seen since 1918. And really, really take the experts uh, seriously. And I, uh, I'm glad that Kyle can still get in here, but we're being very, very careful. Uh, and we, again, want to thank Amy Fine and the sign Institute. James, we'll turn to the presidential race in just a minute, but first let's talk about the story of the year, the decade, maybe the century, the coronavirus. The Trump performance has been stunning even by his low-level or sordid standards. For two months, he played Nero as the pandemic spread. Two weeks ago, it was a Democratic hoax, fake news. He belatedly calls it a national emergency. You know, you got to go back to the pre-Civil War times, James Buchanan, to find out a president who has screwed up a crisis so much. And now they're finally doing stuff. But my fear is it's not only too late. It's never too late because we can do things, but it's later than it should have been. But it's too little. $900 billion economic stimulus package. If this crisis is worse than the 2008-9 downturn, the the eco crisis, we need a lot more than that. Last, you remember in 2009, Obama enacted an $800 billion stimulus because that's all I could get. Republicans wouldn't give any more. And everyone agrees it wasn't enough. And we'll talk about the health ramifications with Zeke Emanuel in a few minutes. But we got to go beyond halfway measures. Of course we do. I mean, I mean, there's, there's only one thing. You have to isolate. It's the only way. There's no other way. And, and we have to take human contact by, by I, 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 why don't we, honestly, we need, we're going to need some version of martial law. Because if, if people are so stupid, they go out and keep transmitting this. It, it, it just common sense tells you that. It, until you get a vaccine, the only way you can stop this is the herd doesn't transmit, continue to transmit the virus. That's it. And, you know, it's just, it's just what it is. And, and why, you know, why did we in denial the whole time? Because, you know, people kept saying, you, you have an idiot for a president, you know, and, and we're going to have a national emergency and that's where you're going to pay the price. And people, oh, no, look, stock market's fine. Look, jobs numbers are good. Yeah, he tweets and he shouldn't do that. But, you know, the tax cuts are working and everything. And, of course, this is what you're faced with. So I, I hate to, I don't think anybody is really surprised by this that there would be in the event of a crisis that he would not know what to do. And he doesn't have any people around him. He doesn't listen to people. He needs to get out the way and get whoever the Herbert Hoover of this country is and put him in charge of this thing. Uh, and you do need something like that. And you, I mean, this is really big. And I, Congress, rather than passing three or four different packages, I mean, come, I mean, go really, really big because the crisis may be, there are people who are going to be, uh, you know, out of work and their savings are going to be gone and they don't know what to do with their kids. Lindsey Graham said the other day, why do we want to give a thousand dollars to someone on top of their paycheck? Senator Graham, let me explain something to you. There are going to be a bunch of people who ain't going to get paychecks. And maybe that doesn't matter to your contributors, but it matters a hell of a lot to those people. This is this is not something where you go and you just play at the edges. You know, I, I'm just serious here. There's not a person that listens to this podcast that does not think that Trump is a blooming idiot. All right. If, if you listen here and you don't think he's an idiot, there's not much for you to listen to in this show. So, yes, he's an idiot. Yes, they got every kind of thing they've done. Yes, he's got to get out of the way. Yes, we got to go find our version of modern version of Montgomery Megas, Herbert Hoover, or somebody like that. So it's just it's just what it is. We're we're in a, we're in a jam. We don't have. It's not that we have no leadership. We got terrible leadership, and everybody listening to this knows that. 
I'd amend that slightly. We have terrible leadership, terrible elected leadership uh, in the executive branch. That's but what I'm the about, deep, the, I know you are. The deep, yeah. the deep state is delivering. Thank God for the deep state. Thank God for Tony Fauci. Thank God uh, uh, for uh, Doctor. Why am I drawing a blank on her name now? She's just been terrific out there. And thank God for the CDC. You know what that is? Is that is the deep state, and you cannot exist as a as a functioning society, a democratic or authoritarian. Without a deep state, they're doing well. But I, I agree, nothing's going to change Trump. But you know, the people have to understand too. I got sick last night watching pictures of San Francisco, where the mayor has, I think, sensibly called for a lockdown. You know, shelter, uh, you know, housing and shelter. And there were just, you know, seem, seemingly hundreds, if not thousands, of people just strolling along as if nothing has occurred. Uh, and if it requires martial law, I, I don't know I'm willing to go that far, but it certainly ought to be on the table. I am. I am. I'm, I mean, I'm like right now. It's not going to get better. It's just not. There's no chance. And I don't know what martial law means, but, but whatever. It means like calling up the guard for sure. It, it means a lot, you know, it, but I'm serious. It, whatever the most immediate draconian authoritarian steps that have to be put into place they got to be put in place now then we fight about it after after it's over what are we doing i mean everybody in the world that knows anything is screaming and we had we didn't even call the head of the corps engineers the cbs i i, I mean give give the army uh, 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 authority to draft welders and iron workers and stonemasons or whatever it takes to build hospitals. Rosie the Riveter. Uh, I, anything. Yeah, no. And, anything. And 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 get those get those troops off the damn border down there to all yeah, the. Waste I mean, anybody wants to come here now. It is a waste of time. It is hurting Total. the effort. It is but, just. But, but, I mean, the point is, it is like now, in draconian. I mean, stuff that you would say you just can't do this in a free society. You, you're right. And, and but that, that's it. I mean, like empower people. Like now, I, I just I, I just don't think. I mean, when you see like Sanjay Gupta and you see people that really know, I mean, that they're panicking. That, that the head of the uh, Baylor, you know. Texas Medical School, you know, huge, you know, I thought the guy was going to have a nervous breakdown talking about what's coming. Well, I agree with all that. Uh, I want to be I want to be very careful about, you know, suspending any basic rights. I want to be very careful about that. So and that's 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 what martial law uh, connotes. So I I do agree. It ought to be emergency declaration. We ought to get the Army Corps of Engineers. We ought to get the military involved. We ought to spend, you know, as much money uh, as it takes. And I, you know, I think we can do that. You know, Lincoln suspended habeas corpus. Roosevelt and turned to Japanese, right? They make an argue about it. You know what both of them did? They won the goddamn war. Yeah, but it was no need to. Yeah, but the, the, the Japanese internment camps I, I, were I totally know. unnecessary. It I, didn't help with the war I, I, effort, I, 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 I and know. it was a stain on an otherwise great president. So we don't have to repeat. We don't have to repeat mistakes. There are things we can do that are emergency. Right. We're, we're going, by going draconian, you're going to make some mistakes, all right? And you're right, it was a mistake, but it was a all-out effort. It's the only thing we can do. To hell with the Constitution. Well, no, I okay, no, no. Right. Just no, I'm sorry. That's what's that's what's different between us and China. And it may be that they deal with it a little bit better than we do because of the kind of society. But never the hell with the Constitution. I'm sorry, James. That is totally, completely I, I, unacceptable. Right, I disagree. Well. I just hope if you want to say the hell with the Constitution, you just imagine the person who will be making the decisions then is Donald J. Trump. And if you're comfortable with that, fine. I, I'll tell you, I sure as hell ain't comfortable I, I, with that. I'm telling you, you have freedom of movement. You're not going to have that. All right. You're just not going to have that. Well, that's different. Uh, than yeah, suspending yeah, the sure, Constitution. It's, well, it's the Constitution. You, if, no, if, it, you're it's telling not. people that, that they, they, they're isolated in their own homes and they can't go out. I don't know what's going to happen. They aren't having court sessions. I, I, I mean, 
look, we're just, I'm not going to argue. It's going to come to this. And it's going to come to this faster than we think. I mean, we, wouldn't, we were screwing around when you knew, now you know San Francisco has shelter isolation. I think shelter isolation is totally required, necessary, a good idea in many places. Uh, I don't think that suspends the Constitution, is all I'm saying. But, you know, in any event. I, well, I, I, I just, I, I'll say, well, we'll ask Walter Dellinger, all right? But, but if, 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 if the Constitution, you know, if I want to go, go walk on, on the beach, I can't. Yeah. In Florida. Not allowed to. I, I, in a normal time, I'd have a constitutional right. Look, it's, it's a public beach. I'm entitled to be there. Well, we could go on and on and on. I mean, there are all kinds of places. Not, you don't have a constitutional right to walk into the White House, and uh, that's a public property. But in any event, in any event, we I, I think we agree on 95% uh, the fact that uh, not enough is being done. A lot more has to be done. It's something like we've never faced before, and we ought to start doing it now, now, now. Um Let's let's turn to politics for a minute. Uh, Joe Biden, a clean sweep uh, a couple of days ago on Tuesday. He not only won, he won huge in Florida, won huge in Illinois, won decisively in Arizona. We know it's over. It's all over. Um, what's impressive, and I think this probably says more about the Democrats' desire to get rid of Trump and anything else, he's not only beating Bernie badly, he's running much stronger than Hillary Clinton did in 2016 among almost every demographic group. Uh, and even with the virus scare yesterday, turnout in Florida, I think, was just about what it was in 16, if not higher, and maybe higher in Arizona. Uh, so the qu- only question now is, uh, how do we, how do we, how does Joe Biden, how does the Democratic Party uh, go and get Bernie out of this race and focus? I'm sure he's not going to go away. Uh, but, but what are the challenges ahead? Yeah, I, first of all, who cares? Right. I mean, the, the party has just made its decision. Bernie can do what he wants. He's look ridiculous. And if he wants to sit there and get the crap beat out of him every Tuesday between now and June, then and go out and get the crap beat out of you. But, but I've, I've moved on. Who cares? I mean, even at debate when he's attacking Biden for some stupid Social Security vote 30 years ago. I mean, you got to get over it. No one cares. The party, we're not going to have a yeah, convention. Yeah, I agree. It's going to be a mail-in ballot. Biden is our nominee. It's 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 not honestly. It's just he's running fine. He's going to win the freaking election. I'm not, you know. I guess the only thing that could save Trump is is some miraculous vaccine, which is not going to happen. I hope I hope it does. Which of course he invented. Well, yeah, he'll invent it. But but that's it. It, it it's not. It's over. It's who, who cares? Let Bernie Sanders do what he wants. You know, he can't have he can't have the rallies. I mean. I, I'm sure they're going to miss the campaign contributions, but they're going to have to go out and earn a living on their own. Yeah. No, I I, I guess I don't think it's unimportant how Sanders deals with with this and how he is dealt with. I think it's clear staying in in 2016 beyond any reasonable chance to even be a long shot um, uh, at the nomination. I think that hurt Hillary Clinton. Yeah, I think what, uh, I think and, what it hurt is a lot of people said, well, let him stay in because I don't want to win by too much. They'll go to yeah, the well, head. He, yeah, that was so a, therefore, a therefore, staying in doesn't, doesn't help. And but, but I don't think he's going to stay in. I think he's going to get out. And he's going to suspend his campaign. But he's going to say, hey, I represent a certain constituency and we want to be heard. And I think that's, I think how the Biden people deal with that. It'll be a challenge. It's not altogether easy, but it's, it's, there have been far worse problems in previous elections. It's not going to be a big problem. I mean, Biden can just, you know, listen to him and pledge this and that, you know. Look, in 2024, I might vote for him. Who, Bernie? (laughs) But right now. So I find a third of his message kind of appealing, to tell you the truth. Well, he he not as much as Warren, but he he diagnoses the problem, you know, reasonably well. It's his solutions that are the that are the issue. I mean, it is a very unfair society. Uh, we don't have uh, adequate health care yet. ACA improved it. Uh, it is it isn't right that a lot of poor kids can't go to community colleges. I mean, I, I, I agree with all that. The problem is that you can't enact, you know, $60 trillion of taxes. Right. 
I, 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 I completely agree. It's a menace. But look, in one thing we know is the country that we knew three weeks ago is not going to be the country when we come out of this. I mean, just and I, I, I know the modern monetary theory, and I know interest rates are at, at near zero, and I understand we're going to have to spend two, three trillion dollars on this, all right. But when we come out of it, and you know, I understand at some point the markets will stabilize, but where they where they end up, I have no idea. But whatever the politically, wherever we are now. We're not going to be there. Yeah, you're right. And, and, and I think in that sense, 2008 and 2009 are instructive. And I think basically first Bush uh, and then particularly Obama uh, and Bernanke, uh, they did the right things. They saved us from the abyss. We, this, we could have gone into worldwide depression. And they made a few mistakes, but they did a lot more right than wrong. However, having come out of that, there was a sense and a reality that the well-off, the well-to-do, they got, they came away fine, but a lot of other people didn't, and that's really important how we come out of this. If that's repeated again, Bernie will become a right winger in two thousand twenty-four. Right. It, 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 so, Bernie, if if you believe in the movement or whatever, right? The best thing you want to do is get out now. Preserve your thing, and then in 2024, say, look, we had had the thing diagnosed from the get-go. In terms of the bailouts, yeah, they had to do it, and economics is not a morality play, and they had to shove this liquidity in the system. They had to save the auto companies. But the political price that we paid to that was Donald Trump. Right. But that, yes, that, that's the price we paid. We had no choice, and of course Bernanke did what he had to do. And, and that uh, you know, what's his name? Hank Paulson or Geithner, you know. But the pain and the price that we paid for that would have been a worse price if we wouldn't have done it. And now the, these companies are coming in. The airlines. Oh yeah, tell tell us about that. That was a really good column. So the airline business has been really profitable in this century. It has not typically been. Uh, it's not typically been that, but I mean, $3.6 billion. And I got to be fact checked on this because I'm going, I'm going to, uh, but I'm, I'm pulling it up right in front of me. Uh, we must have managed, uh, for American Airlines, the nation's largest airline in the mid 2010s, what the Bible calls the years of plenty. In 2014, having reduced record competition through mergers and raised billions of dollars in new baggage revenue, Americans began to reach stunning levels of financial success. In 2015, it posted a $7.6 billion profit. What'd they do with that profit, James? They all did it stock buybacks and raises. And so now they're going to say the country can't, we can't function without airlines. And they're probably right. You got to like cargo and you got to take medicines and everything else. And they're going to come in and they're going to get a bailout. Because they've used all of that money. And, and then when it comes back and the thing is over, everybody's going to say, well, no harm, no foul. And the public, and, and, and I don't have to be Bernie Sanders. See, there are plenty of things Americans could have done with all that money. They could have stored up its cash reserves for a future crisis. Northern Airlines regular, regular cycle through booms and busts. It might have tried to decisively settle its continuing contracts and future pilots, flight attendants, mechanics. It might have invested heavier and better service quality. Instead, it blew most of its cash on a stock buyback spree. From 2014 to 2020, in an attempt to increase its earnings per share, Americans spent more than $15 billion buying back its own stock. All right. What do you think happened to the, all of the, the big tax relief that people got under Trump? It all went to stock buybacks. And you don't have to be Bernie Sanders to be freaking outraged about this. And, and, and I guarantee you, the Marriott people, the, 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 the Hyatt, all of that, they're going to be there with, with bailouts. Everybody, they're talking about the energy companies want bailouts. We're really going to give Exxon a bailout? Yeah, I, I, I think it ought to be, you know, I want to make sure that little bar owner in the corner 
uh, who uh, otherwise go into business, that there's some way to, to get him or her a bailout. And if we give it to the airlines, which we probably have to, uh, because, you know, it's hard to envision uh, our society functioning without, without airlines, much as I hate to fly. But I, there's no reason you cannot write a provision there that says that the money cannot be used and they cannot have stock buybacks for five years. I don't know what. Uh, that can be done. And the problem, the reason it won't be done, I'll tell you why it won't be done, James, having covered Congress for many years, because K Street is popping champagne corks now. They ain't going to lose their jobs. They're going to get a lot more jobs. And they're going to be up there lobbying for every special interest provision you can. I want a huge package. We'll make mistakes in the package. You're right. But I want to have someone, I hope someone up there, whether it's Warren or someone else, who tries to just look every day at what kind of special interest stuff is being put in that, because that's what created the great backlash uh, 10 years ago, and we can't afford that again. It's coming. And, and it's always the same answer you get. Well, you, gotta, you have no choice. And I don't know that you have no choice. I mean, we have no choice that, you, that that Barack Obama and Eric Holder decided not to jail anybody. We had a choice. We had a choice. I, I mean, and, and, you know, I don't know if, that, if we had a, a functioning court system. Do, do you have a, 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 I mean, what these airlines did with all that profit they had and then coming here and looking for a bailout is, is nothing short of the criminal, right? Uh, you know, and they want to be—they want to be both, you know, big free enterprise people, but they also want to be, you know, part of the you know, a trust with the government that, you know, they take, you know, they get subsidized for this and that and everything else. I mean, the federal government started the airline industry through the post office, but but they're going to come and they're going to get it, and 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 you know, it's just it's it's what's going to happen, and then the aftermath is going to be very predictable. All right, James, uh, we're going to continue with our run of terrific guests. Stephanie Cutter, Deputy Obama Campaign Manager in the 2012 election, worked in two White Houses, was in a, in a pantheon of giants. Uh, she was one of the top advisors ever for Edward M. Kennedy. She was the founder and CEO of Precision Strategies and knows as much about politics as anyone. Steph, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, all right, Joe Biden wrapped this thing up. Uh, you know, it's time to put this baby away, as they say. What happens now? What do you think happens with Bernie? What are, what are Biden's challenges now? And are the Democrats in as good a shape as many think they are today? Well, what happens now? Um, you know, it's it's a little unpredictable um, with Bernie. Um, there's news this morning that he's going to take the next three weeks to reflect on the state of his campaign. Um, nobody knows what that means, whether um, it potentially he could get out or... Um, figure out other ways to affect the race, like working um, to impact the Democratic platform um, or issue uh, management. Um, I do think that, uh, you know, there are really no contests over the next three weeks, so it is going to be quiet. I think the challenge for both of these candidates now is to um, continue fundraising um, to get ready for a general election, but also rise above where the country is at the moment and be presidential, uh, be the person that people can picture in the Oval Office managing a crisis um, with full confidence um, and start, you know, and I think you've seen this with Joe Biden already, start um, comparing yourself to uh, our current president and the uh, mishandling of where we are. Well, if you were, I mean, if you were in, in your old shoes with John Kerry's campaign or with the Obama campaign, and you were uh, there in Biden land right now. How would you tell him to do this? I mean, you mentioned he's made a start in that. But what would you tell Joe? What advice would you give uh, the vice president for the next month? My advice would be to, uh, you know, find opportunities to speak out. You know, travel for any of these candidates is just locked out at the moment. It's not happening. Um, so just like you saw last night, uh, Joe Biden come out and give a very... Um, you know, sort of somber, serious set of remarks about the state of the country and the seriousness of where we are. Um, you know, I would find opportunities to continue doing that. He's got 
a uh, a plan of what would he what he would do in a pandemic. Uh, he's got a plan of what he would do to um, to stimulate the economy and take care of people who are losing jobs uh, because of this crisis. Uh, and parents who are having a hard time homeschooling their children because schools are out while also managing uh, work. Um, find moments to be a president, you know, for thankfully, and I, I say this as a, you know, diable Democrat, it's not hard for Joe Biden to do that. Um, he has been a leader um, and knows how uh, to make government work for people. I think one of the big problems we see right now with Donald Trump is he has uh, hollowed out the government. Um, and hadn't planned for anything. He was more concerned with uh, pursuing his campaign promises and ideologies rather than making the government work for people. That's just the opposite of what Joe Biden was, uh, would do, and he needs to remind people of that. Now, uh, more than ever, uh, it's a time for leadership. You know, we haven't seen anything like this um, really since 9-11. And we all remember when George Bush did step up um, and lead the country. We came from all different political parties um, and, and beliefs, but we did, did see him step up and lead. We don't see that with this um, president. So there's a void to fill. And if, you know, Joe Biden um, has essentially won the nomination, um, there's statistically impossible for Sanders to catch up. He's, Joe Biden is likely the Democratic nominee. Um, so time to show um, show people how it's done and lead the country. I, you know, there's an old joke in political consulting about somebody in a focus group says, you know, what do you think the biggest problem that you face with here in rural Kentucky, ignorance or apathy? And the guy says, well, I don't know and I don't give a shit. Right? <laughs> That's pretty much of the country's attitude toward the Sanders campaign. Now, I'm, I'm looking on my computer. You can barely get a story about it. About what, James? I mean, it's a, about Sanders' campaign, him standing in the race, it, it, it doesn't even pop up. Uh, yeah, I, I looked on a couple of sites. No one cares. All right, go to Vermont, be in the woods, spend time, do whatever you want, man. You, you, what, what, you, you, if you want, if you want your movement to be intact, and I think you, you're going to do a candidate like you could do very well in 2024, given where we are. Just say I, I support. The nominee of the Democratic Party and to work tirelessly on behalf of Joe Biden. That's that's what you do. And you do that, everybody says, "Well, you guy was like a, he was a good guy." But he can stay up there and stew, and they can do anything they want. No one cares anymore. I was looking last night at, at on television it, at MSNBC. We, we barely covered it. We barely covered it. And, and Bernie Sanders has got to adjust to the reality of the country. That, that according to five thirty eight, that there's a point. Oh, one percent, not one percent, one tenth of one percent. He gets a nomination. I, I think their computer doesn't, their algorithm doesn't allow it to be zero. There's nothing to argue about here. I, I mean, Biden needs to be attack him, be nice to him, but let Bernie Sanders sit there, and, you know, do whatever, whatever he's got to do. But if he, if, if, if people around him have any sentence, they sent it. Look, we'll come charging back in 2024. If, if, if I'm part of that movement, I want to do everything I can cure to make it more popular than it is. And that's that's one thing you could do. And people would stand up and say, God, Bernie Sanders is a class guy. Well, I don't, James, I don't, Stephanie, I don't disagree with any of that. I thought I thought Biden actually was pretty good in that uh, in that debate, that unusual debate last Sunday night. I thought the only mistake he made at the end, he didn't have to attack Bernie for those old uh, silly positions he had. I mean, I mean, it's over. You know, could have done that a month ago, but not now. I do think that um, I agree, James, with everything that you said. The country has moved on and the Democratic Party has moved on because there's one goal in mind, beating Donald Trump and taking the country back. But uh, he, Bernie does have a lot of supporters out there uh, and has gotten a not insignificant number of votes. I think Biden is right to try to attract those voters uh, to his campaign and over the next three weeks, I think you'll continue to see an effort to do that while Sanders figures out what he's going to do. But the country has moved past him and the party has moved past him. The party is consolidating around Joe Biden. He is going to be the nominee. It's just a matter when Sanders gets out and how painful he makes it for everybody. Right. And it doesn't matter. He didn't have any power. But, well, he has know, followers, I mean, though. Supporters. He has followers. And I think it's I think it. Not, he does. It'd be nice to him. Yeah. I'm not saying no, exactly. Be rude to him. 
if he, you know, appreciated, uh, you know, ran a, a, a vigorous, you know, campaign with a lot of ideas and, you know, great contributions to the United States of America, and boom. They, they just give generic vanilla platitudes. I don't care. Yeah, no, I agree. Steph, Steph let, me, let me ask Stephanie before she has to go. Tell me how you, nobody knows how bad this is going to be. It's obviously going to get a lot worse. I'm talking about the coronavirus. Do, do you have any early sense about how this, how this is going to play out politically? Well, you know, no. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty, both in terms of the regular business of politics, you know, primary dates, conventions, things like that. But there is also, you know, uncertainty with how people are dealing with this crisis, whether, you know, we saw a large number of people come out and vote in Florida yesterday, despite all of the warning um, beat records from 2016 and Arizona and and Arizona, um, you know, over the course of the next three weeks as uh, or 45 days, as some believe this thing peaks, um, there's a lot of uncertainty of how this happens. There is, you know, there's a lot of work being done um, to see how people can vote by mail, um, how we can alter um, the method of voting and politics um, to protect people. Um, but there's there's a lot of work. There's a lot of uncertainty, um, uh, you know, in terms of how people feel about how Donald Trump has handled this crisis. You know, there's a lot of breaking down along partisan lines um, that it doesn't change from any issue that we're dealing with. Um, but, you know, we're just at the beginning of this, even though this has been in the United States for two months now, we're at the beginning of this impacting everybody. Kids are home from school. People are losing jobs and paychecks. Um, and and obviously Donald Trump knows that because he's trying to change his tone. Um, but, you know, there, if there's ever a need for change, uh, or the need for an argument for change, it's now. Since we've, since, since we've interviewed you, this story was updated three minutes ago. The governor of California has placed the National Guard on alert. It's imminent call-up of the National Guard. They're going to be everywhere. You're going to see soldiers in streets. They're, they're, gonna, they're talking about confiscating hotels and trying to turn them into hospitals. This is not normal. Every hour it gets less normal than it was the hour before. I, I, I guarantee you that the Louisiana National Guard will be called up soon. And you, you, might, you, you might see regular, regular troops. I, I mean, the, the, we're, 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 I'm, I'm going to get up to the Shenandoah Valley. I, I don't know if we're going to start restricting movement in this country. We might. Yep, I, I agree. I think we've never seen anything like this. So... Um, it's, it's very difficult to plan ahead right now. If things are going as bad as I suspect they're going to go politically, and, and also if this crisis gets much worse, which I think it's going to, uh, you can bet Donald Trump will try to find out some way to monkey with the election, uh, delay the election. I mean, I don't think he can get away with that, but but this is a desperate man, uh, particularly if he's in the shape I think he's going to be in, and I think everybody ought to be on guard for that uh, because uh, that's the kind of stuff he does. The, the, this country is going to be so ready to get rid of this guy. It is nothing. It, it, we have no idea. I hope this is all wrong. I just don't know a single, right now, I don't know a single smart person that doesn't say this is, this is the big one. All right? Not a single one. Now, I, maybe this thing will blow away in April. <laughs> I don't think many people think that's going to happen. But if it goes the way the experts are telling it's going to go, there's only one thing at the end of it is a gigantic cataclysmic disaster. Well, I'm afraid that's right. Uh, but uh, uh, Stephanie Cutter, uh, be safe. Thank you so much for joining us. We'd love having you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care, guys. James, uh, we our next guest is, you, you can't get any better uh, in talking about this crisis. We had John Barry on. 
uh, a week or two ago, who uh, is the encyclopedic expert on the 1918 uh, influenza. If you want to talk about a medical person who really understands this stuff, Ezekiel Manuel uh, is at the top of the list. He's a great oncologist. He's the, the chair of the Department of Ethics at the University of Pennsylvania Medical School. He's a professor there. He's the architect of Obamacare. He's on the Biden virus uh, or pandemic advisory committee. And he just uh, is an all-around incredibly smart guy uh, on, on, on this sort of stuff and other stuff. Zeke, you wrote the – first of all, thank you for joining us. My pleasure, Al and Jim. This is a return visit. Uh, you wrote the other day that this pandemic has to be measured in months and months, not in weeks. Uh, do you, I, and just reading the piece, but also between the lines, uh, I get the sense that you think this could be much more severe than, uh, people have said so far. Well, I think everyone's focusing on the social distancing. Now everyone's focusing on, you know, shutting down schools for two weeks or shutting down businesses to the end of the month. Um, but, uh, we think that's, uh, probably short sighted, uh, not in, not intentionally, but they haven't thought through, well, what does a pandemic look like uh, over time? And the fact is, uh, you know, as we argued in the New York Times, uh, this is probably around for 18 months. Um, and I've noticed that the federal government has uh, appears to have also acknowledged that this is not come and go, uh, you know, you hunker down for a few weeks with uh, social distancing, and then we're all going to return to normal. But you're not saying that for 18 months we're going to have to self-isolate, are you? All of us? No, I, no I'm not saying it. I, I'm saying this is more going to be more like a roller coaster. We're going to probably for the next 8 or 12 months, we're going to have to, you know, uh, limit our activities outdoors and uh, with other people. That's the main thing. Um, and then we'll ease up because the number of new infections will go down, but then the number of new infections are going to go up. And we'll have to reintroduce these social uh, distancing techniques. Um, and then we'll be doing that uh, oscillation on and off uh, for the next, uh, you know, until we get a good vaccine, basically. Well, you also wrote that until that happens, that and this really does escalate, that there is the possibility that we're going to have to ration health care. And that, that really, I mean, ration whether some people get ventilators, whether some people are treated or not. Uh Al, you know, I don't watch TV, but the limited amount of TV that I do watch, mostly when I'm sitting on set waiting to be interviewed, um, that view is now catching on and people are seeing, wow, we could have a tidal wave of people in New York. We could have a tidal wave of people in Seattle, San Francisco, uh, that does overwhelm the healthcare system. That's the main rationale, by the way, of flattening the curve is to space out the demand on the healthcare system. I think it's inevitable that uh, whether you consider ICU beds, ventilators, uh, personal protective equipment like the masks and gowns, uh, even tests, uh, we are going to be choosing uh, who gets them and who doesn't. Um, that seems inevitable. I will say, um, you know, that is one of the most wrenching, tragic choices anyone, especially anyone in the healthcare field, committed to you know, saving people's lives, making people's lives better has to make. Um, but we put it out there so that we could begin thinking about it a little more rationally and not, you know, throw doctors and nurses in to these decisions uh, in real time, because that often does not lead to the best decision making, as we saw with Katrina. So let, let, let's say in Philadelphia, you know, got northeast Philadelphia's uh, uh, Got it. You know, as a persistent manager of some hotel, and his wife is a, a dental hygienist, and, and they got three kids. They're going to be in that house for the foreseeable future. I, I mean, according to the Imperial College report, the, the, the infections won't reach their peak until late June or early July. Yeah, uh, that assumes no re effective social distancing. I think if you see a effective social distancing, it may be earlier than that. But yes, I, you know, I, I may be a little more optimistic than the Imperial College report and saying sort of mid-May. Um, but I think, you know, th those are the timeframes we have to be on. Now, I, I do want to say I, I, I differ a, uh, in an important way from what is being said. 
we have to social distance. We have to keep a three-foot cordon around ourselves. But, and this is an important but, that doesn't mean you can't go outside. That doesn't mean you can't walk in the park and not interact with other people or not get close to other people, you know. And I think it's a, a mistake to say, you know, uh, shelter in place, uh, which means no going out. In, in San Francisco, if you're running along the Embarcadero, you're not going to, uh, you know, you're not going to get sprayed uh, by people uh, uh, droplets. And so I actually think you, you know, part of the thing that's hard for people is you're saying, well, you can't leave. That is probably, you know, overdone. You know, you're taking people who are feeling healthy, who's all, all their friends are feeling healthy, and you're saying stay in place because uh, it's at risk. If you said, you know, stay in place, you can go outside as long as you're not interacting with people. I think that's a more rational approach, and people feel better about that and, and probably would adhere to it better. And I think that's just, you know, a, a better way of thinking of it. So the droplets are, are if, you, if you have three feet of space, you say from the droplets? Yes. So, yeah, you know, most of us, uh, uh, maybe not my brother, but most of us, you know, our droplets go, and that's the key element. Also, you have to not be touching surfaces. But if you're walking in a park, like in Central Park, you're not going to be touching surfaces, right? That's not the problem. The problem is that someone might sneeze, and, you know, as long as you're not within three feet, you're not going to knock into those droplets. Wow. I, I, I tell you, one of my great fears is what is going to happen in these prisons? What's going to happen in these prisons and jails, and guards don't go to work, you know, which is not very, not very difficult to see happening. And and all of those things are steel, and and the, you know, there's not a particularly healthy population, and and they can transmit that. They transmit everything. I think James, your intuition is exactly right. We have a number of what I think of as petri plates in society. Prisons and jails are one of them. Nursing homes and skilled nursing facilities are another where you collect people that may not have, uh, you know, may have comorbidities and other problems, um, and you're putting them very close together. Uh, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a recipe. And then we're asking other people like healthcare workers, like nurses, like house cleaning staff, uh, like prison guards to, you know, take some risks uh, in that situation. And I, I, I do think that's, you know, there is, this is the conundrum. This is, this is the challenges that we're facing in this moment. Zeke, you, you have articulated as well as anyone the belated, the inadequate response from this administration. Uh, they're now starting to do things. I guess the question is, is it enough? What more can be done? What would you be doing right now? What would you be telling uh, the president if you were in the White House right now? What more could be could be done? Yeah, I, I, it's a long list, but let me start at the top. The first thing is you've got to get a uniform response across the states. This every state for itself. So you've got aggressive states that are really out there, uh, and they're bipartisan, by the way. Ohio with uh, Mike DeWine, a Republican. Seattle, California, New York, um, uh, Connecticut, New Jersey. Um, you know, you got to get everyone on board. And there are a number of states that have done almost nothing or have a very tepid response. Uh, you know, uh, if I were partisan, I would say they tend to be red states. And that's not a good thing. Um, this uneven response means, you know, people, Americans, even if they're told don't travel, are still going to drive. I, I'm not interacting with anyone. I'm in my car kind of attitude. Um, and they're going to be carrying viruses around. Um, and that's a problem. So we need a much more uniform approach here and for the White House to really lead on this and be very directive with the governors, not more ad hoc. Um, so that's uh, extremely important. Would you use the military? Oh, I, I think we're inevitably going to use the military. <laughs> There's no doubt we're going to need the military for mass uh, hospitals. We're going to need the military uh, probably to begin administering, uh, you know, all tests ought to come out of hospitals and healthcare facilities in the sense of taking the, the swab. They ought to go to uh, drive-through areas so that people don't who want to be tested or need to be tested don't risk infecting other uh, patients. Um, so that's a necessary thing. We need a national cancellation of all elective uh, uh, surgical procedures. Uh, we probably need to shut down a lot of uh, 
dental facilities except for emergencies because those dentists are at super high risk. Uh, uh, so I think, you know, there's a whole number of, of uh, activities. I also think, um, Alan James, that one of the things we need to do is to think through two steps ahead. You know, my father was a chess player. He always said, you know, you should not be concentrating on the move you need to make now. You need to be concentrating on the move you need to make four steps from now. And I think what are the, you know, what in June and July do we have to be doing? And so you need to, to authorize not just the current task force, but a task force that thinks through the next things because that will influence the decisions you make right now uh, in terms of how to support uh, everyone. Yeah, just one more on this. I mean, let me ask you this, because I'm confused. When you talk about the lack of facilities, which we <clears throat> hear is true everywhere, I mean, can't, I mean, up up there, University of Pennsylvania, you know, a couple blocks away, you had the palestra, a big, big place. Why why can't you use places like that? Or is the real problem the lack of personnel? Uh, all of it is rate limiting. It's, it's, it's facilities, it's stuff like equipment, and it's personnel. All of it is, uh, you know, we're, we're here at March, so graduation was going to be six weeks away. Probably the, the whole class that we were graduating of nurses, respiratory therapists, nurse practitioners, doctors, we should just put them out uh, now and get them working now. In Philadelphia, we have recently closed a hospital, Hahnemann. We should probably make that a COVID-19 hospital and re- excuse me, really concentrate uh, the cases there so that they're not affecting other people. Um, uh, uh, you know, recommission it. It, it, it's only been a few, uh, weeks, uh, really. So I think there are, there are lots of strategies that we could, and I don't think, by the way, Philadelphia is unique in that respect. I think there are lots of strategies we can use, um, uh, to do that. Uh, so. So I think that mental health is going to be a, a staggering issue as, as we go forward in this. Is there a, a, any depressant that that you feel like is pretty safe? Uh, I'm, I'm being, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to. Yeah, I'm get, about, yeah. I'm trying to be Doctor Emanuel. I'm trying to think two moves ahead. Get rid of Donald Trump. That's the best antidepressant I can think of. Uh, Jay, I, you know, I'm not an expert in, in in the best antidepressant in this case. I will say that um, there is a an important role here uh, for people who think about resilience and and exactly this. One of the things this can do, and I've seen it in people already, is give them a sense of purpose. And it's like, okay, you know, I've seen a chef. What can I do? I'm going to go out and cook meals and get, get people to support me so I can cook meals and distribute it to kids who are usually on school lunches or families that, you know, someone's become unemployed and, and now, you know, can't really afford food. And that's, a, you know, there's nothing for getting rid of depression and getting rid of anxiety. Like I've got a purpose. One, and I totally agree with you, Jane. One of the problems of cooping people up in a house with not, no structure is, boy, do they get anxious and depressed and, you know, ornery. And that is not a good, that is not a good recipe for society. It is true that it does increase their social connection with their family. Um, but I do think we have to give people a sense of purpose and a sense of to do, you can do this. You can help people. Well, yeah, uh, you uh, you have to go. I know, Zeke. I want to just finally, great, great man, and I consider you a great man. Well, sometimes a men previous positions. And some years ago, you wrote a piece in The Atlantic saying that, hey, we ought to be gone, ought to die by 75. James is 75. I'm 77. Will you take an amendment now and extend it for at least a while? <laughs> what I will do is say that's a choice for you. That's what that article said. It's a choice for you to think about purpose and you guys have purpose and that's really important all right and well we have a lot more purpose when we have guests like you thank you so much zeke be well and we'll talk soon thank you. nice to talk to you yes be healthy too. stay away from uh too many people yes all right i, I tell you one thing that i think is is being addressed by this crisis i think we're having fewer carbon emissions if you want to look oh yeah that's yeah that's for sure if you want to look on the bright side of anything you know yeah yeah I, you know there's always some good stuff that comes out of it people are getting some people are getting to know their families better in a good way some people probably not such a good way but it's uh you know there are good things people can Zeke made a very good point that those that have a purpose and those that don't have a 
purpose that's laid out in front of them ought to try to find a purpose. There are adjustments that we can make. It's a lot easier for you and I to say that, James. We sit in a comfortable place at home. We are connected. We have Wi-Fi. We have people we can call. But I think that example you gave of that, you know, assistant hotel manager who's, you know, with a wife and three kids in North Philadelphia, boy, it's a real challenge for them. Oh, I mean, what about people that, like, really poor, you know, sanitation workers or, or anything, minimum wage, or, you know, Walmart associates? Well, what are we doing about people, about, about the homeless? I don't know. You know, that's a that's a big problem anyway, and they almost all sleep in areas that are near each other. Uh, you know, I'll tell you one, one good thing. This has nothing to do with this pandemic, but one of the, in our neighborhood, one of the great things I've ever seen for the homeless, they, they have just built a really big new homeless shelter. And you know where it is? It adjoins the police station. I can't think of any, and anyone who wants to say not in my neighborhood, you can tell them to go do you know what. So, you know, we're going to have to think of solutions like that in the next year because, as Zeke said, it's going to be around for a while. It, 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 again, it, it just since we've been on the air, all right, they're getting ready to call out troops, all right? It, it, it's so – what's coming is going to be so – and Trump has just got to get out of the way. And I think – I know his ego and I know everything about him, but he's, he's, got, to, he's got to get out of the way. Well, I hope he does. I hope he does. Uh, I want you to be safe, uh, you know, whether you're in Mississippi or Louisiana or Virginia. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think that uh, anyone who's listening to this, this program, please take to heart what Zeke Emanuel and others have said. You can go outside. Uh, you can go to a park. You can walk your dog. But, you know, don't go and engage in the kind of social interaction you have, you know, for at least the foreseeable future. Uh, your health and the health of the people you love. Are I'll tell you sick. what, I'm, I've never been a big drive through window guy, but I'm finding it increasingly attractive. Oh, yeah. Oh, I am too. All right. Well, listen, I want to thank everybody for listening. We'll be back next week. We're going to do all guests, I'm sure, by phone, which it worked fine today, and, and they were two terrific guests. Uh, but I want to thank you for listening and, again, ask you to please subscribe, rate, review. Be kind, as always, to 2020 Politics War Room. and Get it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For James Carville, this is Al Hunt saying see you. Talk to you next week.